Hey, thanks for joining us online today. My name is Steve Polk. I'm executive pastor here at uh, First Baptist Rock Hill. And we are excited about this message our pastor is going to bring today from Psalm chapter 8. If you've ever wondered in the whole scope of the world, you know, sometimes we talk about the world as a small place. You know, such a small world, we run into people from in different places that we wouldn't expect. But when you think about the whole universe, it really is very small. Uh, the universe is so vast. And when we think about how God made us and why he created us, uh, it's a very specific thing that, that God has created us for as humans. Um, and why is it that God has taken such care in the creation to create people exactly the way that he has. Well, our pastor is going to tackle that today. He's going to talk about why we exist and what's our place in this universe as it relates to God's purpose for us. So uh, I know you want to grab your Bible, get your copy of God's Word, turn to Psalm chapter 8, and that'll be where we'll be this morning. And let's look forward to and let's really listen in for what God has for us as for what our place in this universe really is. So let's pray together as Pastor Steve comes. God, we thank you for your word that you address so many uh, unique topics. That today as we look at Psalm chapter 8, that we can see the very specific purpose and reason you created us just the way we are and just how special a creation we are in the whole scope of all that's in the universe. So today let us just listen and really engage with, with what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, being a basketball fan, I've enjoyed watching the NCAA tournament and, of course, the Final Fours this weekend and the championship game Monday night. And today I'm preaching from uh, Psalm 8 about the universe and our place in it. And this may seem a little odd to you, but I got to thinking about the universe and how it's like a basketball team because, you know, basketball team has a coach and there are 13 players that can be on the bench. Each of the players are important, but they don't all contribute to the same degree. They're not all necessarily as valuable or important to the success of the team. They all, they all matter, but only five play at a time. And on a successful team, each player has a defined role. Do this and don't do that based on their strengths and the needs of the team. And when I think about the universe, I think about God being the coach and everything in the universe, all the physical parts of the universe, us as human beings and all the animal life here on earth, God's the coach and we're the players and, and everything that's a part of this universe. Everything that's part of God's creation matters and is important, but not everything is of equal importance, and not everything in the universe has the same defined role. Some parts of creation are more valuable than others. And so the question I want to ask is, where do we as human beings, as men and women, fit into this universe? Where do you fit in the universe that God uh, creative. What is your role, your defined role, so to speak, on the team, your place, and just how important are you in the grand scheme of things? How important are you to God and in the, in, in the big picture of this universe? And to answer that question, we cannot simply look at humankind. 
we have to look at the whole team, if you will, at all of creation, the universe, at, at our creator, at God, if we're going to accurately see our place in the universe as human beings. And, and the Bible talks about that subject in different places, but one of my favorite places were, is, is Psalm 8. In, in our Bible reading plan, we've been reading the book of Psalms. And so in chapter 8, if you have your Bible, that's where we're going to start today because this is written by King David. And I want you to imagine when he was a young man lying in the pastures, maybe keeping his sheep, and it was dark, it was nighttime, and, and he could look up at that clear sky and see all the stars and see the moon and, and the vast of all of that, and he started thinking about the universe, started thinking about the heavens, started thinking about God, started thinking about himself and humanity and, and how we fit into this big, beautiful universe. And so he writes this psalm as a reflection, recording his thoughts about that. Psalm chapter 8, let's begin at verse 1. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Verse 2, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength, or some Bibles translate it praise, because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. Verse 3, when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man? What is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, or some Bibles translated angels. It's the word Elohim in Hebrew, the plural for God. So he's less than a divine being. And you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him, referring to humanity, to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. And then he goes back to where he started with praise in verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I can just picture David lying there looking up the sky. Many of us have done the same thing and starts thinking about the vastness of what he's seeing, the vastness of the universe, and, and he breaks out in praise. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. You have displayed your splendor in all the earth, in the heavens. The universe declares, it just speaks to how great you are, God. It's just a, a time of praise as he sees the beautiful world God has created. And I want you to think about something. The Milky Way galaxy in which we live, in which our planet is a part of, there are more stars in our galaxy than we can count. Scientists estimate there may be upwards of 400 billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy. And, of course, there are billions of galaxies. There are trillions, trillions of stars in the universe. Impossible to count all of them. Science tells us, astronomy tells us that the Milky Way galaxy is so large, if you and I travel at the speed of light, it would take us 100,000 years to travel from one end of it to the other. It is massive. And that's just our one galaxy. There are billions of galaxies, and astronomers are discovering new ones all the time. And so David breaks out in praise 
and think about us. We know more than he did, but just seeing what he can see. Oh, Lord, our, my Lord, how majestic is your name. All of this praise. And, and he teaches us, and we know this, that the universe displays, it shows the glory of God. But here's the thing. This vast universe cannot contain all the glory of God because he is greater than the universe. He created the universe, and yes, it shows his glory, but it cannot show all of his glory because he's greater than it is. And think about this. If, if there's nothing above the heavens, if there's nothing in the universe that can fully, completely show the glory of God, then there is definitely nothing under the heavens here on earth that can fully display the glory of God. Now, we have the privilege of praising him, and we can see the glory of God in this world. This morning, I was reading the Bible and looked out the window from my study, and I saw beautiful deer walking through the backyard, and I thought of the glory and the majesty of God. But he talks about, in verse 2, even nursing babes. They praise God. We as, we as human beings have the privilege of praising God, and, and we can look at a baby. Our sixth grandchild was born the other day. And uh, when, when I saw her the first time, I knelt beside her, placed my hand on her, and prayed for her because she is evidence of the goodness and the majesty and the glory of God. But there is nothing in this world with all the praise that we give, all the sounds that we make, all the things that we do. That, that, yes, we give honor to God, but we come up so short of displaying his glory and majesty because he's bigger than anything above the heavens and bigger than anything, greater than anything below the heavens. King Solomon, the Jewish king, built the temple in Jerusalem and he dedicated it. And on the day of dedication, he prayed in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, and said, but God, will God indeed dwell on the earth? I mean, he, he built the temple as a place for the people to worship as the house of God. And in his prayer, he says, but God, will you indeed dwell on the earth? It's a question. And then he said, behold, heaven and the highest heaven, heaven that we see and everything above it that we can't see, that vast universe that, that we know more about than Solomon knew about, cannot, he said, God, it cannot contain you. You, you cannot fit in it, God, how much less this house I have built. A temple cannot contain all the glory of God. The universe, the highest heavens and everything beyond the heavens cannot contain all the glory of God. But they point to his glory and they show his glory. Astronomers today study the universe and we've learned so much about our world, about our universe. And many of them, many astronomers are believers in God because when they, when they study the, the universe, to them, it points toward a creator. And even some who are not believers in a personal God believe there had to be a causal agent or a force that was behind all of this. Astronomy shows us the beginning, that the universe had a beginning. And the truth is, in modern science, there is no model that shows the universe existing eternally, the universe existing forever. Astronomy, scientific models all show that the universe had a beginning, and they estimate that happened about 14 billion years ago. And because astronomers say it had a beginning, many of them say, God, it points them to God. And it's just another example of the universe displaying not only God's existence, but his glory and his majesty. 
As I mentioned, astronomers believe the, the, the universe was created about 14 billion years ago, and modern science says the earth is over 4 billion years old. What do Christians believe? Well, it depends on how you interpret the Bible. Those who believe in Genesis chapter 1 that the days mentioned there are literal 24-hour days believe in what we call a young earth. They are young earth creationists, and many will say the earth is maybe six to 10,000 years old. Ken Ham, who, as you know, is the one in his ministry that has built the, the Ark Encounter in Kentucky and the Creation Museum. And by the way, if you've never visited the Ark, I encourage you to do so. It is impressive. He's an example of a young earth creationist, a believer who takes Genesis 1 days as literal 24-hour days. There are other believers, Bible-believing Christians, conservative Christians who believe the days in Genesis 1 are not 24-hour periods, but rather represent eras, ages that could be millions or billions of years old, and they are called old earth creationists who believe that, yes, God directly created the earth, but it was ages ago, not just thousands of years ago. And there are many conservative Bible-believing scholars and preachers and Christians who are old earth creationists, just like there are many who are young earth creationists. When I was ordained as a preacher back in the 1970s, my home church gave me this Bible. It's my ordination Bible. And it's a King James translation. It's the one I preached from for many, many years. It's a Schofield edition. And the Schofield edition was for many decades in the 1900s the most popular Bible in America, especially among conservative Bible-believing Christians, because he had his footnotes, his study notes. And Schofield, all those years ago, was, when you read his footnotes in Genesis, an old earth creationist. An old earth creationist. He's one example. The Unger Bible handbook that many Christians use is another example of believing the earth is old. Or J. Vernon McGee and his, uh, his uh, Through the Bible radio ministry and his commentaries from years ago. An old earth creationist and on and on I could go. And so the thing is, you can be someone who is a young earth creationist who believes the days in Genesis are 24 hours or an old earth creationist who believes that the days in Genesis are ages and we don't have time to go through all the Bible and explain why each group thinks what they do. The point is you can be either of those and be a Bible-believing Christian who believes this is the inerrant, infallible word of God, believe that God directly created the universe, that God directly created humanity, and that he did it from nothing. We're not products of evolution. He directly, personally, actively created us. And so whether we are a young earth creationist or an old earth creationist, do not make that. Do not make how you interpret it, Genesis 1 as a, as a 24-hour day or as ages. Do not make that a test of salvation. Do not make that a test of fellowship and of faith. Do not make that a test of belief in the Bible because you can be a Christian and a Bible-believing and errantist Christian with either position. Now, here's the thing I want to really get to. Science and astronomy, they, they can point to the birth of the universe and tell us how vast it is and how beautiful it is. But God is the one who tells us how he did it. And he does that in many places in the Bible. 
One of my favorite is here in Psalm 8. So let's continue looking at it. Look at verse 3. He said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers. Now let that sink in. The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. David said, God, as I look up and I see that vast universe that I can't fully grasp, but it displays your splendor and majesty, and I think about that. I think about how you ordained it, meaning that, God, you put the stars where you wanted them. You put the moon where you wanted it. You put the earth where you wanted it. God, you ordained, you established, you put every part of this universe where you planned and where you wanted it. And I love the image of you doing it with your fingers. Now we know from the Bible that God spoke and in his power created what is. But David here is using this beautiful image of God using his fingers. I think about Christmas. I remember when our kids were little and more recently with our grandkids or my son with his children. Christmas comes and we buy these toys. And what do we do? We have to follow the instruction, a plan. And use our fingers to put those toys together. And, and sometimes it's complicated, but we put them together. And then there's, there's this beautiful toy that makes our child or our grandchild happy. And it's this image that, that God took the moon and said, here's where I want it. God took the sun and said, there's where I'm going to put that. God took Jupiter and Saturn and said, here's where I'm going to establish their orbit. And then he put the earth where he wanted it, that our creator God placed everything in this universe exactly where he wanted it to be. And that is such a blessing for me to think about. But what does that mean for us? Because I said this message is about our place in the universe, this vast, vast universe that our God created and established the way he wanted it to be established. What is our place in it? And here's what I want you to hear. God created the universe to sustain the existence of humanity. He put the earth, when he took his fingers, if you will, and he ordained the earth be here, he put it in the perfect place, the only place in the universe for human life to be sustained. If this planet, if God had placed it closer to the sun, it would be too hot like Venus and water would evaporate. Water would turn to steam and vanish and life could not sustain itself. If he had taken his finger and placed it further from the sun, it would be too much like Mars. It would be too cold. It would be frozen and life could not exist. Human life could not exist there. God, with his fingers, put earth in the perfect place in our solar system, and in the universe for human life to exist. And then he designed the earth to support life. This, this earth, they tell us, is, 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 is covered with you know about 71% water, water above the ground, water under the ground. It's the only planet discovered in the universe with water like that to sustain life with all the other conditions being right. And without water, we would not survive. The atmosphere is perfect for human existence. There's, there's, there's the ozone layer that protects us from cosmic rays. The moon, it does more than just look pretty up there in the sky and, and influence the, the tidal waves. The earth tilts on its axis as it revolves and it wobbles 
It wobbles, okay? It's, it wobbles. That's, that's our seasons, okay? It wobbles a little bit. And what the moon does, interacting with the gravitational pull of the earth, is provide stability to our planet, to our home, so that it doesn't wobble out of control and all of us die. And on and on we can go with the discoveries of modern science that, that describe how God created the earth and then put it in the right place so that we could exist. Why? Why did God create a place for us? That's the question David is asking in Psalm 8 when he, when he says, When I think about your heavens and all that you did, verse 4, what is man? What is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him? It's as though David is saying, God, why? <laughs> I can't imagine. We, 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 we seem so insignificant. When you, when you think about the massive nature of, of, of the universe, we, we live, our, our solar system, if you will, our solar system is the sun and the planets and the moons and other uh, celestial uh, objects that are part of our solar system. But our one solar system with our sun and planets is just one among 400 billion solar systems within our one Milky Way galaxy. And on top of that, there are billions of galaxies, so there are trillions of solar systems. And all of them together make up the universe, the heavens above the heavens. It's a really, really big place. And in, and, and in light of all that, the earth is a small speck in the universe. And humanity, a speck within the speck. And yet God says that me, that you, that we, that humanity, that men and women are unique and important, that we have a special place in this universe and a special place in his mind and in his heart. We see on so many levels that he really does care about us. Just what I've already mentioned, the way he created the earth to sustain life and placed it in the perfect place in our solar system, galaxy, and universe to support life, that is, an, that is evidence that God cares for you and me as people, as human beings. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah in chapter 45, verse 18 said, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it, notice this, and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited, that God created the earth for the sole purpose of being inhabited, of sustaining life, and in particular, human life. Wow. Evidence of God caring about us. We see God's paying attention to us and saying, people, humanity, you are unique and you are special and you are important because he shares with us his glory. Look in Psalm 8 at verse 5. Yet you have made him, talking about humanity, a little lower than God, or as I said a moment ago, angels, divine beings, and you crown him with glory and majesty. What he says, we are a little lower than divine beings. We are not little gods. 
We are not divine. We are human. But at the same time, we are not animals. We are not descendants of animals. We are not products of evolution. He crowns us with glory and majesty in that the Bible teaches time and time again that he created us in his image. And only humanity is created in the image of God, capable of a relationship with God, created to know God, that we are his representatives not only on this earth but in the universe, and we reflect him, and, and we reflect his glory. We don't reflect all of his glory because he's, he's greater than us. He's greater than the earth. He's greater than the heavens. He's greater than the universe. But we also reflect his glory, and he shares that. He shares that with us. And so, yes, we are less than divine, but we are more than simply evolutionary animals. We see how unique and important humanity is in the eyes of God and in how he created the universe and this planet in particular, because thirdly, he shares with us his rule, his authority, if you will. Look at verses six and following. He said, you make him talking about humanity to rule over the works of your hands. You have put him, you have put all things under his feet, sheep, oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the heaven, fish of the sea. We, we were given by God. It's not inherent in us, but God gave us when he created us authority, dominion over the earth. And I don't know when we could go, but, but, but as David reflected on all this and said, God, I don't, I don't understand why we're so special, but we are you love us, God. You, you, you made this world for us. You share your glory with us. We reflect your majesty and your image. You, you gave us dominion. So, God, yes, we are unique, and yes, we are special. There's nothing else in creation. There's no other being in creation like human beings. We are unique. We are different. And we get, listen, we get our true sense of identity from God and from our unique connection to him. Think about it this way. There is the animal kingdom. There is the physical world. Then there is the divine. There is God. There is deity. We are not that and we are not this. We are not divine and we are not animal. We share characteristics with the animal kingdom but we also are made in the image of God and share characteristics of him. But we are neither. We are in between. We are unique and we are special. And when we forget that, we lose our way. When humanity begins to look down and say we are simply advanced parts of the animal kingdom, that's, that's all we are. Mankind loses his sense of identity of who he truly is is of his uniqueness and his place in the universe, he loses his way. And that can show up in a lot of different ways. It can show up in, in us rejecting God's moral laws in the universe and choosing to sin and to do wrong, to do evil. When we lose our way because we, we, we forget who we really are, we lose that connection with God, it can, it can show up in our becoming arrogant and, and making ourselves a little God, if you will, and saying things like, I am, I'm the master of my own destiny. And, and we replace God with self. There's arrogance. There's pride. 
Man loses his way when he forgets who he really is, how God really created him. And because we look away from our creator, we need him and we need his love more than ever. And that is why he sent Jesus Christ to the earth. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9, the Bible tells us this, but we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Do you recognize those words? Essentially the same thing we have in Psalm 8. When, when David, under the inspiration of God, describes humanity, he says, you made us, you created us a little lower than the divine beings, a little lower than the angels, a little lower than God. We're not animals. We're above that. But we're not divine either. And because we forgot who we were as human beings, because maybe you as a man, you as a woman, you as a teenager, forgot who you really were. And you turned your back on God. And you sinned. God said, I love you. And I'm going to do what I can to fix your problem. So he sent his son, the divine one, God himself, to the earth and became a little lower, taking upon himself humanity, bridging the gap between the two. And on the cross, dying to make atonement for your sin and my sin, to pay the penalty for our sin, to pull us to the Father, to say, I love you and I will forgive you and I want a relationship with you. Look up. Look up. That's our response. Notice how David ends Psalm 8, the same way he began it. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And it's not being redundant when he uses Lord twice. It's actually two different words. In the beginning, when he says, oh, Lord, many Bibles, mine included, have Lord in all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Lord, meaning that it is that, that, that it was actually God's sacred name in the Old Testament, the name he gave Moses at the burning bush, Yahweh. And David is saying, it's God. It's God. It's God I see when I look up. And then he says, our Lord. It's not all capitals. God. Our master, David saying, God, my master, God, my Lord. And what are you to do in response to Jesus coming to this world and taking on himself humanity and bridging the gap between the two? Look up. Look up and see God. Look up and see the creator. And in doing so, know your place in the universe. And then cry out, God. You are my Lord. God, you are my master. Submit yourself to your creator. Be in a relationship with him. Know him, love him, serve him by committing your life to Jesus Christ right now. To experience life as God created you to experience it. To have the identity that is rightfully yours, given by your creator. Right now, there where you are, in your home, in your car, your place of work. Stop whatever you're doing 
and surrender yourself to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, oh God, be my God. Oh God, be my Lord. I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin asking you to forgive me. I commit myself to you. I place my life in your hands and I'm going to love you, serve you, and walk with you every day you give me on this planet you created just for me and other human beings. Do that right now. And then I want you to text the keyword Jesus to the number on your screen. And tell me you prayed that prayer not just the words, but in your heart, fully surrendering yourself to the Creator and saying, Oh, God, you are now my master. I look forward to hearing from you. God bless you, and I'll see you next time.